Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning service. Good to have you here this morning. Good to have visitors with us as well. Welcome to Sudbury and welcome to Berean. I'm going to ask Jacob to come now and uh, read the scripture for this morning and lead us in prayer, if you would, Jacob. Thank you, brother. Good morning. morning. This morning I'll be reading from Psalm 107. That's in the Pew Bibles, page 665. And this morning I'll be focusing on verses 1 through 32. Although this evening I'll cover the rest of the psalm. Psalm 107. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the land from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivers them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up 
the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down to the depth. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad because they be quiet. So he brings them into their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Amen. Let us pray. O holy God, creator of heaven above and earth below and all things in between, you are infinitely greater, more wonderful and awesome and amazing above us. Your ways are so far above our ways. We cannot understand them. And yet you have come and revealed yourself to us. You have made yourself known to us. Your loving kindness, your goodness, your wonderful works to the children of men. Lord, help us to respond to you with praise and thanksgiving according to who you are and your goodness. And because of who you are, because we know that you are good, we come to you now and seek you. We ask that you would be in our midst. Despite our failings, Lord, despite our sin, we ask that a holy God would be in our midst. And we ask with boldness, not because of our own goodness or anything in our own boasting, Lord, but because of what Christ has done on that cross. We ask that you would work in our hearts, that we would not be conformed to this world, Lord, that is passing away, but we would be transformed by the renewal of our minds that by testing we might discern what is the will of God in all things. Lord, I pray for wisdom for myself and for this congregation. I pray for the wisdom for those who are seeking a pastor in Sudbury, at Berean Baptist Church, Lord, that you would help them have discerning hearts and minds to seek out one who is faithful to your word, whose heart is conformed to yours and your will, who desires your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in all things, Lord, who seeks holiness and righteousness in all things, who knows you, Lord, 
who is worthy of the calling, who is able to divide your truth, to discern, to protect the flock. Lord, we pray for your provision in this church as you have continued to provide for them as they have been seeking for a pastor, Lord. May you continue to provide for them and may you raise up a a man of this kind, a man after your your own heart, imitating Christ in all things, Lord. A leader, but not just that, a servant leader with a servant heart. Lord, I thank you for this church. Um, We thank you for your witness in this town that you are still working Lord, we pray for your spirit to work in this city in greater and greater degrees, that your kingdom would be made known, that the Christians in this city would continue to share of your goodness, tell of your deeds, tell of your wonderful works to the children of men. Be bold in proclaiming your truth. Have a zeal for your goodness and your truth. And your ways, Lord, that your kingdom would be built. And souls would be saved, Lord. May they have a yearning for souls to be saved. Lord, we pray for Canada, for the minister, the prime minister. Lord, we pray that you would redeem him, redeem his heart. Lord, the, your word tells us that the, the, way, the hearts of kings are like water in your, springs of water in your hand. They turn at your will, at your command. Lord, redeem the hearts of this people. We pray for times of peace and not war. Lord, may we not... May we use these times of peace wisely as opportunities to praise you openly, to seek your face in all things and to proclaim your goodness once more. We pray for endurance during times of persecution, during times of of suffering, Lord. Lord, Every Christian suffers. We pray that we would be able to have hearts trusting in in you always, knowing your goodness, your steadfast love and your faithfulness in all things, that we would be able to trust you and not turn away from you or be angry at you because of our circumstances. Help us not to grumble or complain against you, O Lord. Keep us holy as you are holy. Lord, we pray for missionaries overseas. We thank thank you for this church's support and missionaries in India and places like that, Lord. Um, Lord, continue to call men and women to share your good news 
to all of the nations, Lord. Lord, and we pray that you would be with us once more this morning, softening our hearts, opening our eyes, opening our ears to see and know you, to taste and delight in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, good morning. I know I read from verses 1 through 32 there in Psalm 107. But I'd also want to bring your attention to the final verse of that psalm. Verse 43. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Or, as the ESV or the English Standard Version puts it, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So concludes the psalm we are looking at today. And, and these psalms, this, those final lines, have they impact how we read the entire psalm to consider the steadfast love of the Lord, the loving kindness of the Lord. But it also has bearings on us today as well. Are we fools that despise wisdom? Or are we to be the wise ones who are called to consider these things? And let's notice what we are called to specifically consider to understand. In the one translation, we have the loving kindness of God. The other, we have the steadfast love of God. If you read the NIV, the New International Version, it says the loving deeds of God. In other words, the wise are considered, are called to consider The love of God, but not just any love. It is, as the Hebrew says, the the chesed. Now, if you're using the KJV or the NIV, this word is translated differently throughout this psalm as mercy, love, goodness, unfailing love, and as I said before, God's loving kindness that the last one is a mashed up word that tries to convey the balanced notion that this word does not just incorporate love or kindness, but rather both at the same time. This morning we're going to explore the definition of this term. But I want us all to consider specifically how it relates to God, who he is even now, today, the God of all things on heaven above and earth below, and what it looks like for us to have a God filled with chesed for his people. How does that impact his actions toward us? And how does that impact our actions back towards him? How do we respond to him and his love? As we go through the psalm more carefully, we should have two specific responses 
to God and his love that I want to emphasize. First, that we should seek to we, that we should come to and seek the Lord because of his steadfast love. And also that we should we should thank the Lord for the, his steadfast love or his loving kindness. Seek the Lord and thank the Lord. We're keeping it pretty simple this morning, okay? Let's turn to the psalm now to see what that looks like. <clears throat> you may have noticed when I read verses 1 through 32 earlier that this psalm consists of a series of four different events, four different cycles is what I refer to them, because they all have a, a repeating pattern. Now, for reference, I'm going to give you the verses for the cycles, and then I'll break them down to show what's going on. I'll go slowly for those taking notes, but also so that you can take a quick look in your Bible for where it is. After all, nothing I speak on is or ought to be on my own authority. This sermon, the words I'm speaking only matter in so much as they conform to God's word and his will as they are revealed and expressed in the scriptures. Okay, let's turn to the word. For, for reference, if you're reading the NIV or the ESV, these, these cycles each start with the word some. <clears throat> but verses 1 through 3, we have a brief inter- introduction. But then the first cycle is verse 4 through 9. Those in the desert, or the wilderness, hungry and thirsty. The second group, verses 10 through 16, those who are sitting in darkness, imprisoned and bound in iron because of their rebellion against God's words and his commands. Number three, the fourth, number three, the third group in verse 17 through 22. In a a similar fashion, we have the fools who are suffering because of their own iniquities. And then in the fourth and the longest cycle, 23 to 32, we have those who went out to the sea in boats and are caught up in a storm of the Lord. Stormy winds and waves so high. In this way, I've identified four different groups of people, each in different circumstances, but every one of them in some sort of peril, distress, trouble, or danger. Broadly speaking, the pattern in each of these sections looks like this. They each start with some people, a group of God's people, who are in distress or trouble. Now, what kind of distress that is, it varies, but in the, here and in each of the four cycles, they all have one reaction. Verse 6, 13, 19, and 28 all have the same repeating couplet. <clears throat> Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distresses. They're in trouble, they cry for help from the Lord, and he delivers them. And this is what I mean by seeking the Lord, coming to the Lord, unbeliever or believer. Cry out to the Lord, go to him, seek him, turn to him when you are in trouble or distress. Why? Because he is a God who operates according to his hesed, his steadfast love, his loving kindness. In this psalm, that looks like delivering his people out of their troubles and afflictions, even though 
at least in a couple of the cycles, they were suffering directly as a result of their own sins. Verse 11 says that they were in affliction and chains because they had rebelled against the words of God. Verse 17 tells us some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. These are men and women who have sinned against a holy God, a holy creator. But then what? After sinning against him, they receive the consequence for their action. Verse 12 tells us that God himself was the one that punished them accordingly. If God is their judge and their executioner, as well as the one that they offended, then who can they turn to in their plight? They've wronged the very, the only one that they have a chance of receiving mercy from. In a human sense, this can lead us to despair. But this is, again, not who our God is. We have a God of loving kindness and mercy. This is our great God that despite his, their own sins and follies against him and our own sins and follies, all the same, the lines that immediately follow their cry and plea for salvation show how God's ways are not like the ways of man. God is not petty. He brings salvation. He delivers them. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he saves them from their distress. Time and time again, not just the four times in this psalm, but for all of the evil ways that Israel reacted to his deliverance, for all the ways that we've done wrong against our God, our hope remains. Cry out to the Lord for his salvation is at hand. The amazing thing is each of the four cycles describe how exactly the Lord delivers them. That is in direct correlation with the trouble that they are in. So the wanderers of cycle one were brought into a sheltering city. Those in darkness and chains are brought out of darkness and their bonds of imprisonment are broken. Cycle three, those afflicted, afflicted because of their own sins are healed and delivered, and it is God who calms the storms and hushes the sea in cycle four, bringing those who are being tossed to and fro into safe havens. Reflecting on that last one, I think everyone could learn something there that, that we do not have to wait until we are in a ship in the middle of a tempest, when the waves are crashing down high on one side up to heaven and crashing down into the abyss on the other, we don't need to wait that long before crying out to our God, before coming to the Lord. I ask that you would not be so proud I say that because I know that I have done that myself. Do not wait until your deathbed. 
We do not know when we shall die. It might be tomorrow. The Psalms tell us to teach us, O Lord, to number our days. They teach us that the lives of a human are nothing more than a gush of wind brushing against our arms. It's here for one moment and then gone. This is the whole lifetime of a human. This is why we need to remember who our God is. And as we were talking about earlier, there's everlasting joy and everlasting life in Him. This world and everything in it is passing away. Therefore, sing always in your heart that beautiful song of simple words. Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you every hour. For he is our one defense, our righteousness. And it's not just that. It's not just every hour, is it? That we need God. We need Christ. We need his love. As the scriptures say, in him we live and move and have our being. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he, that is Christ, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says that all things are from the Father and we exist for the Father, but we're only able to exist through Jesus Christ, even when we are sinning against our holy God. He is still being gracious enough, supplying the breath for our lungs. This is our God and his grace, his steadfast love and faithfulness. If you've committed sin I shouldn't say if there. And you're doubting God's goodness and mercy. Remember that God is good. His chesed endures forever. Seek God, turn to him. Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The book of Hebrews, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, For sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he had perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, he is your righteousness and your hope. It's not in any of the works that we do. None of us may boast. It also means that there is no more sacrifice that is necessary. We do not have to punish ourselves. The punishment has, has been met upon Jesus Christ. Justice has been served. Jesus Christ, the righteous, has died for you and I. That he was raised, and you will too, if you believe that truth. Whoever 
would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. As it was true in Psalm 107 for the four groups that sought him in their distress. As it was true in the time of the New Testament, when those words were written in the book of Hebrews, so it is true today. Repent and believe, turn and trust, cry out to the Lord in your trouble, and he shall deliver you. For us today, that means that though we see our sins and sinfulness, and though we know that we have made ourselves enemies of God, and that we deserve to be, as Revelation refers to it, we deserve to be under that great wine press of the wrath of God. Though we deserve condemnation, our hope remains. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the steadfast love of our God, and that endures forever. Before I move on to the last repeated section that occurs after God delivers his people, I also want to give one quick caveat. Our God is not just our God in times of trouble and distress. He is the God who controls the stormy waves, but he is also the God who calms the sea, the sea too. When we have everything we want in our life, in a humanly worldly sense, we need to be extremely cautious that we are not forgetting what God has done to get us there. But also what he is still doing every day for us in those moments. Proverbs 30 says, written by King Agur, is, he's concerned about riches because the wealthy have a greater temptation to be full and say, who is the Lord? That is, they deny God. They forget him in their riches and lavish lifestyle because they feel that they can rely on their own strength or their own storehouses of grain. And that can be our temptation today too, where in one sense, we live better than some of the kings of old. We can control the heat in our house at, with the touch of a button or the turn of a dial. We have to remember the Israelites after they were delivered from their enslavement in Egypt. How quickly the hearts of man forget the wonderful works of God. The Israelites failed to serve their Lord, their God, with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Deuteronomy 28 says, because of the abundance of all things. They took what was a blessing from God and allowed it to dull their affections and harden their hearts. They had so much worldliness that it destroyed their proper worship and service towards God. May we not go and do the same. 
The second point I want to emphasize today comes in after the people are delivered. There the narrator gives them the same exhortation in each cycle, calling upon them to respond in the same manner to their deliverance. And this is how we also ought to respond to his salvation. Verses 8, 15, 21, and 31. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Or as the King James Version says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, that is, his chesed, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Thanksgiving is such an important element in how we should respond to God's steadfast love. Through the sacrifice of his only son, bearing the death that we deserved on that cross, how can we have any other response than warm gratitude and a softened heart? And yet the daily cares of this world distract us, don't they? They make us forget all that God has done and is doing for us even now. It's so easy to be callous to what was done 2,000 years ago on our behalf. But this psalm teaches us how we ought to respond to God's salvation. And I also believe that these responses dispel that very same hardening of our hearts. As we properly worship God, seeing his goodness, meditating upon it, and his steadfast love with open eyes, with awestruck wonder, we become even more worshipful and thankful in our hearts. We do not forget the Lord our God. Psalm 107, verse 1, and repeated explicitly five more times throughout, we are to thank and praise the Lord. And it's not just in this psalm either. Throughout the scriptures, God's people are called to offer him thanksgiving for who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing. I'm just going to quickly rattle off a few verses. Psalm 95, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Colossians 3, the New Testament, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with Thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Lastly, Hebrews 12. And I say lastly, but these are just a sample. Hebrews 12, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Clearly, giving thanks is a natural and crucial element of the Christian life. In Psalm 107 alone, several reasons are given why we should thank God. And I want to 
dwell on these. Verse 1, for he is good. How often do we meditate upon what it means that our great God is good? Can you or have you considered the alternative? That if there were a God who is as powerful, all-powerful, all-knowing, he knows everything you're doing, he knows your heart, your mind, your thoughts, he's all-present. Can you imagine if that God had even a drop of wickedness in him, how that would affect our trust in him, how shaken our faith would be if at any moment he would be like a human. I'm not going to paint the picture more than that. I'm sure your minds can imagine it, but our God, he is good. And that's amazing. And that's worthy of praise and thanksgiving. He's not just God, he's also our Father. He's loved us who are no more than ants before him. He's adopted us, that we were in rebellion against him. Praise God, indeed, for his goodness. Second half of verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, or his mercy, as some translations say, or his love, as others say. It endures forever. Again, this is our hope, that this life, though fleeting as it is, gone here one moment, gone the next, God's love remains. It endures. Verses 8 and 9, again, give thanks for his steadfast love, but also for his wondrous works, or his wonderful works, or his wonderful deeds to the children of men. And then also, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Verse 15 and 16, again, thank him for his steadfast love and wondrous works. For he shatters the doors of bronze, cuts in two the bars of iron. It's a picture of deliverance. He delivers the prisoners who are depicted in verse 10. It is a picture of salvation. This psalm doesn't just call us to thank our God. Beyond that, it also gives us examples of how thanksgiving is expressed differently. The ones with thankful hearts are those who are overflowing with thanksgiving because of the steadfast love of God. The redeemed of the Lord tell others about it, about his good works and his deeds. They tell of his steadfast love, of his chesed. Testify to others about God's grace in your life. Tell about his goodness. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them tell their story. That is, let them speak of and affirm God's steadfast love that endures forever and his goodness. Verse 22, God's people are called to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. That's what we are doing so many times in in worship every Sunday. And it doesn't just have to be on Sundays either. We can worship with our family by ourselves. We can sing and praise our God at all times. As we have done this morning then, let us also sing with joy about our God, 
telling of his wonderful deeds. Verse 32. Let them exalt him also in the congregation, praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let us extol him, praise him, be bold in proclaiming God's love, testify to his goodness before Christians and non-Christians alike. I know that I need this to stir my own evangelism. Now if we take a step back and take a look at the greater context of this psalm, we'll see that it is placed in a series of psalms that call upon its readers, singers and hearers, to give thanks to the Lord, especially for his steadfast love, which endures forever. In fact, Psalms 105 and 106 and 107 all call upon us to give thanks to the Lord and make reference to this chesed, his steadfast love. If we look closer, we see that Psalms 105 and 106 recall specific instances recorded in the Old Testament where God's steadfast love is on full display. Indeed, they are doing what the psalmist expects of all of the, the redeemed, namely that they would tell of his wondrous works, that they would recount his goodness. These two psalms that precede this one speak in turn about his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how he multiplied them into a nation, how he sent Joseph as a means of protecting them from the upcoming famine, how he delivered Israel out of Egypt in the time of Exodus, abounding in riches, how he gave them manna from heaven, water from the rocks in a desert, and so on and so forth. Why am I repeating all of this here? Are these not stories and accounts that some of us have heard since we were children? It's not like they have changed or that I could add something new to them or make to make them more interesting. No, I'm repeating them now because, as I said before, there is a scriptural emphasis, particularly by the psalmist, that God's people should tell of God's great works because humans are so quick to focus on the things right in front of our face. Hebrews going through it this morning and every morning um, is just such a great reminder of this, the, the chapter of faith in Hebrews 11, because we need faith. Reminding ourselves of God's goodness protects us from anxieties. It protects us from grumbling. It protects us from complaining. The very things that we are prone to do when we experience the merest, simplest displeasure or discomfort. It keeps us grounded in the spiritual reality of God's provisions and our absolute need for him. No human goes a day without thinking of food or water to eat or drink. And yet, how easy is it for us to forget the one who is giving the life in our lungs? Do you remember Psalm 51? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. 
brothers and sisters, testimonies and baptisms, are they not refreshing to the souls of believers young and old? Don't new converts warm your hearts, revitalizing your faith? Oh, that God would open our eyes to see his ongoing works of grace that surround us every day. And oh, that we would not deny our brothers and sisters or the unbelievers that we encounter these same very encouragements, testifying to his goodness always, that we would praise him, thank him, and love him. And yes, go and tell others about him. That is the great commission. Let us go, therefore, and live out what this psalm teaches regarding the Lord's love in times of trouble and distress, but also in times of plenty. Let us come to the Lord. Let us seek the Lord. At the same time, respond to God's salvation. Praise him for his chesed, his steadfast love, mercy, goodness, loving kindness, unfailing love for his wondrous works to the children of men. For the rest of our lives, as short as they may be, may we seek the Lord and thank the Lord. Let me pray to this end. Father God, we come now once more before you and we pray that you would implant your word into our hearts, that you would change us, Lord, that we would always call, remind ourselves of who you are, your goodness, your steadfast love, that Jesus Christ died for us, though we were his enemies, that in him is, there is salvation. Let us not focus on the things of, the, of this world, pride and possession, the things before our eyes, Lord, material wealth. These things have their purposes, Lord. Let us not forsake them entirely, Lord. We renounce them and all of the things of this world are things that are passing away. But let us use them instead for your glory and your kingdom, Lord. We pray. Amen.